Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Today's program is going to be a little bit different than normal. Normally at the end of the program we take time to answer Bible questions that people have asked us to have Tom answer. Today we're going to take the whole half hour and go through some of our favorite questions that people have sent and some new questions and see what Pastor Brock's response will be to those questions. Pastor Brock, our first one is a new question actually from a writer who says that her friend claims that Jesus is our brother and states that Mary is the way to Jesus. She goes to Medjugorje, twice now, Medjugorje. That's in Eastern Europe. In Eastern Europe, where Mary appears to three children and tells them secrets. Yeah. What do you say to someone? Well, you know, I uh, periodically, supposedly, the Virgin Mary appears to people and gives them messages. I just think we need to be real careful about such things. You know, the Bible is what God has given us to, so I would hope for her friend that she would not go to Medjugorje, not go after visions, read the Bible, let the Bible be your final authority, because that, you know, God can appear to people, I don't doubt that he can, but does Mary, do dead people, I mean, the dead of course are not dead, the saints are in heaven, but um, the only place I know of where somebody from heaven comes to earth was at the Transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus and, and three of the apostles. So I, I'm very skeptical about some of these, quote, visions. Okay, her friend also believes in purgatory and states that Martin Luther took it out of the Bible, and that's why it's not in the Bible. Is uh, that that's true? That's not quite accurate. The, what we have as the Protestant Bible is what the Jews had as their Bible. Uh, there were some other books called the Apocrypha written in between the Old and New Testaments. The Catholic Church includes those books as part of their Old Testament, but the Old Testament Jews did not see them as canon or as the list of true scripture, so that's what uh, we go with. Her friend also believes that the Catholic Church is the only way. What do you say to that? You know, it. Well, then what about the Orthodox Church? The Orthodox Church also goes all the way back to the beginning. And so nowhere in the Bible does it say there's going to be one Roman Catholic Church is the only way of salvation. You have to follow the Pope to be saved. That's, that's not biblical. And so I, I don't follow that. And, you know, the whole thing, too, about purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. And uh, w w there is a verse in the Apocrypha where it talks about praying for the dead. Uh, but again, that's not in the Old Testament, Jew the Jewish Old Testament. And even in the Apocrypha, it's a reference to praying to the, for the dead. But this full-blown doctrine that you have to go to purgatory to have your sins burned off before God will let you into heaven. No, Jesus went to the cross to get our sins purged. I don't have to go to purgatory and get them purged all over again. So I don't believe in purgatory, and I certainly don't believe in paying money to the church or this is what started the Reformation in the 1500s, people paying money to get the Pope to get him out of purgatory quicker. And Martin Luther said, enough of this. I'm really excited about the next two questions, Tom, because they came from a viewer that watches our show, and I'm not sure how, if it's on the Internet mm -hmm. or what. 
but from Australia. Yeah. yeah. And in so, fact, we should tell people, if you want someone to see this show, just send them to pastorstudy.org and they can watch all of our TV shows for free at pastorstudy2s.org. But yeah, so she must watch it on the, on the website. So it's kind of exciting that we have a couple of questions from international. <laughs> at church this morning, they did Psalm 91. It was all about God will protect me. My view is that there are a lot of Christian people suffering at the hands of non-believers, so God isn't protecting them at all. Now, I think that, yes, he loves us, but time and chance is happening to all men and only hope in life with him after we are dead. So I take this verse only is that in eternal life, no one can hurt us. But in this life, we are not protected. What do you think about that? I think that? in this life, we are protected. However, Jackie, I read recently of ISIS going into Christian villages and beheading children in northern Iraq. Who would Christian children, and they say either you renounce Christianity and accept uh, Allah or we'll kill you. Christian children are losing their heads in parts of Iraq. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus predicted us, to us this would come. <clears throat> but here's the way he puts it. Some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head shall perish. Meaning, they're going to cut your head off but not a hair of your head will perish. Meaning, God does protect us. Spirit, I mean, what happened to those Christian children? They went to heaven. Now, when she says that that's a, a real possibility in this life, it is, but does God not protect us in this life? Overwhelmingly, he does. I mean, think of all the times, Jackie, when you could have gotten in a car accident and you missed it by an inch, and, and me too, and all the times he's healed us of all kinds of diseases. I mean, my, my, I've been sick in my life on and off. He's protected me, brought me through it all. Overwhelmingly, in this life, God protects us. But there are exceptions when he wants us to take a Christian martyrdom, and we do have to die for Christ. So both are true. Okay. Pastor Brock, she also wants to know who wrote the Psalms. I know that some were written by Peter, I think, and I know that they say the Bible is inspired by God, but I'm thinking that the Psalms are written by people and what? Maybe you could explain? Yeah, well, yeah, she needs some help here. Saint, uh, the Apostle Peter lived about 30 AD when Jesus was around. The Psalms so were written sweet. hundreds of years B.C. David wrote a lot of them in 1000 B.C. So none of the Psalms are written in the New Testament period. They're all hundreds of years B.C. Now, uh, so th there's that. And, uh, it, but, you know, Jesus quotes the Psalms and said, David said, by the Holy Spirit. So the Psalms are not something that just people dreamed up on their own. The Holy Spirit moved David to write those Psalms. So they're authoritative scripture for us. And what was the other? Oh, oh yeah, the other thing I was going to say, Jackie, there's a woman who needs a good study Bible. Because if she's of the impression that St. Peter wrote some of the Psalms, she's wrong. And so get the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible. Good notes at the bottom of each page that will explain who wrote this when. Okay, her last question for you is that she has a constant battle with the whole Trinity thing. Do you think God minds that I cannot grasp that? I grasp that Jesus is the Son of God, but he is God himself. It says he'll sit at the right hand of his Father, and I will be his Father, and he will be my Son. Mm -hmm. So what so do you she's say confused. to that? Well, it's true. Somebody said, Jackie, he who doubts the Trinity will lose his salvation. He who tries to understand the Trinity 
will lose his mind. <laughs> so she's got a point. The Trinity is, is Jesus God? Yes. Is he sitting at the right hand of God, the Father? Yes. So the best we can do is there's only one God, but in God are three eternal persons. God the Father who made us, God the Son who died for us, God the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Not three gods, one God, but in God are three eternal persons. He's eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet he's only one God. Um, you need to believe that. And I wrote her back, if you're going to a church that denies the Trinity, you want to find another church. And she wrote me back, well, my church believes in the Trinity. She's just struggling with how difficult it is. Well, it is difficult. But Jackie, that to me is good news. If, if my God made perfect sense, I would be suspicious somebody dreamed up the concept. But because the Trinity so boggles the mind, makes me think it came from heaven. <laughs> so. I think, you know, too, Tom, people question things more readily in this day and age than they used to. Mm -hmm. And that opens up the confusion mm -hmm. instead of just going to your Bible yeah. to find the answers yeah. or talking to somebody that's a good Christian yep. to help you steer you the right direction. That's right. All right. This listener thinks you're teaching falsely because you do not teach the rapture of the church. If I believe that Christians will have to go through tribulation, it would make me lose faith in God's word. What would be your response to that? Mm -hmm. And just person? to make it clear for our viewers what she's talking about, some Christians, this is a very popular teaching in America, and today it, it wasn't popular before, you know, the 1800s. But some Christians believe before Jesus comes down to end the world, seven years before Christ comes back, all the Christians disappear and go to heaven. And they miss what's called the tribulation, the difficult period when the Antichrist comes and persecutes the church, etc. And my response to that is, Jackie, if I, I'd love to believe that. I don't want to go through the tribulation. Is there anything in the Bible that teaches that seven years before Christ comes back, the church disappears? It's not in the Bible. And I don't doubt that these people are Christians or that they're sincere. And when they show me the verses that they think teach that, I just don't think they teach that. And if you were to ask the Christians in North Korea, do you think the, that Christians will go through the tribulation? They'd say, what do you mean will? We're losing our heads now for Christ. So I don't see anything in the Bible that promises we're going to disappear and get a sk skip the persecution that's coming. It's already here. Our hope is not the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Our hope is the second coming of Christ. And Christians are being persecuted for their faith in so many countries Like never the world. before. Right. I mean, I, in my lifetime, the, the ISIS is just doing tremendous uh, m killing people, cutting their heads off because they won't renounce Christ. So will a false church arise before Christ returns? Well, it's here, Jackie. The false church is here. When you've got the ELCA Lutherans, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopalians, and the United Church of Christ paying for abortions with offering dollars, when you've got churches teach that we shouldn't worship the Father, Son, Holy Spirit anymore because that's sexist, and they change the language to create a redeemer sanctifier, when you've got churches teaching that all roads lead to heaven, you don't have to believe in Jesus to be saved, when you've got churches promoting homosexuality, and, and uh, you know, Jackie, the false church is here. Okay, have any of these denominations that have become somewhat heretic yes. come out of it you and change? When a church goes liberal, it almost never comes back. And it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. 
evidence the United Church of Christ. That's, that's the most liberal of all the Protestant denominations. There are two exceptions. Really? The Missouri Synod Lutherans started going liberal, and in the 1970s, they cleaned house at the seminary, and it became conservative again. That's unheard of. Except the other group that was starting to go liberal was the Southern Baptists, and they again cleaned up their seminaries, got rid of the liberal professors, and they're, they're quite conservative and biblical. So, you know, if you're a Lutheran, think of going to a Missouri Synod Church, which is very biblical, that kind of thing. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. The Bible says that we're to examine ourselves before we take communion and take it in a worthy manner. Can anyone truly be worthy of communion? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, we continue to sin yes, and fall short of we're the all unworthy of tar partaking of the body and blood of Christ. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians 11 and says you need to take communion uh, in a worthy manner, the Corinthians were getting drunk on Holy Communion. And Paul says that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. God was killing some of these Corinthians for misusing communion. So when God says take the communion in a worthy manner, he means don't get drunk on it, be serious about this, examine yourself and take it. Because nobody can be worthy of communion. Okay, so as long as we're talking about com communion, mm -hmm. what are the different views that Christians have about communion? Mm -hmm. Because from one church to another, yeah and their Christian churches, yeah. communion is different. Right, there, there are basically three ways Christians understand communion. The Catholic Church believes in transubstantiation. The word trans meaning change. And they believe when the priest says the words of institution, this is my body, this is my blood, they stop being bread and wine and they're changed into the very body and blood of Christ. They look like bread and wine, but they're not anymore. That's the Catholic view. The Lutheran Episcopalian probably view on this is called consubstantiation. The word con means with. And Lutherans believe it still stays bread and wine, but in some mysterious way, in, with, and under the bread and wine is the very body and blood of Christ. So that's kind of the Lutheran view. Uh, the third view is held by Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, it, and it's the symbolic view that the bread and wine are, are merely symbolic of Christ. They're not you know, truly his body and blood. So there are the three views of Christendom on that issue. So Pastor Brock, the next question I have is also about communion, and it's the difference in some churches. In fact, I've heard now that some infants are even given communion, mm -hmm. um, but there's yeah. other churches that give communion when a child is of a very young age, yeah. and that and Lutherans that used to be once you were confirmed, mm -hmm. which you were 14, mm -hmm. 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. what, what is the yeah, you've reason got, for this? Uh, most Lutherans would give communion at age 13 or 14 after people, after people are confirmed and they've confirmed their faith because of what Paul says. You need to examine yourself and take it in a proper way, and can children do that? That's a question. On the other hand, um, uh, the Orthodox churches commune infants. They'll put the communion in the mouth of a baby. Catholics tend to do it at about age seven or eight, I think. The, the, the thing is, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be a certain age before you take communion, which is why you've got churches with different opinions. Some of this, Jackie, is not crystal clear. And so we have to have room for grace on things like this. Yeah. Okay. Pastor Brock, you've talked about prayer partners before, mm -hmm. but I guess here's a question for you from someone. Is it okay to talk to the, your prayer partner about someone who makes this person angry, or is that considered gossip? Mm -hmm. 
okay? In, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, if you've got a problem with someone, you go to that person and talk to them about it. And if they won't listen, then you take another person or two with you, and then you talk to them. And if they still won't listen, then you tell the church. So that's the way we do it. So Jackie, if you have a problem with me, and you go to Fred and, and harp on it, you're sinning, because you should come to me on that. On the other hand, if you are, let's say that you're, you have a prayer partner, some lady you pray with once a week, and she doesn't know who I am. She'll never meet me. She, you, know, you call her, she's in California, and you pray on the phone. I don't think it's, any, I don't think it's wrong for you to tell her what I'm doing that bugs you, because and, and, sometimes we're wrong. And am, am I wrong on this, or is he right? And then you pray about it. And so as long as the person doesn't know the person you're, you're dealing with, I don't think it's gossip. I think you're trying to get wisdom and insight on how to deal with a difficult person. But if they know who the person is, I think you've crossed the line into gossip. Well, I guess our graphic person and I can't talk about you anymore. You better we believe <laughs> you can. <laughs> we have a very nice lady that does all the graphics yes. that you see, and she and I do talk about Tom and sometimes question things, but then we can turn it into a question form for another show. What do we know? How do we know the resurrection of Christ wasn't invented by the disciples? Yeah. You know, maybe the disciples, when they saw Jesus dead, thought, well, we better invent a religion to keep this going. So they invented that three days later he rose from the dead. Let me tell you why that doesn't work. With the exception of John, the original apostles, according to early history, all of them were martyred. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, St. Paul had his head chopped off. And the other apostles overwhelmingly died for Christ. Now, Jackie... You'll die for something you think is true, but you don't die for something you know you made up. And if you make up the resurrection of Christ and somebody puts a knife to your throat and says, curse Christ or die, if you know he rose from the dead, then you'll die. If you know you made it up, you're going to say, you're right, I dreamed that up. Don't kill me. They died for Christ. They died for the resurrection. So Again, you, you, uh, people die for what they think is true, but you don't die for something you know you made up. And we have people that are being persecuted right for now. Christianity that are dying oh. because of it. So they're giving up their lives yes, to they stay are. Christian. And because th they know he's alive and yeah. they won't give up. So can you explain what the millennium is? Yeah. The millennium is the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And if you read Revelation chapter 20, when Jesus comes down in the clouds to end the world, then he sets up his thousand year reign on earth. Now, why it's you know, sometimes the Bible is not the easiest thing to interpret, especially on end times things. Some Christians take the millennium literally, and I tend to, that when Christ returns, he will literally set up a thousand-year reign on earth. But then you keep reading Revelation chapter 20, then after a thousand years, the devil's let out of his pit, and he deceives some of the nations on the earth, and then there's a final war, and then the end is really there. And, and what's strange about that is... A lot of places in the New Testament, when it talks about Christ's return, it sounds like when he comes down, it's over. The, everything's done. Heaven, new heavens and new earth, none of the thousand years waiting, and then the devil comes. So some people would say, because Revelation is a vision, you don't press all the details literally. And some people think the thousand-year reign of Christ is happening right now as the church is reigning on earth. 
um, you know, that, that's a possibility. So what, what I think we need to do is read Roman, Revelation chapter 20 yourself, get some good commentaries, see the ways Christians have understood this, but understand that the book of Revelation is perhaps the most difficult book of the Bible to interpret and give breathing room for people that don't understand it exactly the way you do. Okay, that's a good way to answer that question. Are there any particular verses that you have memorized that are uh, a source of deep comfort when you have trials, mm -hmm, Tom? Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give you some of my favorite. You know, it's good to memorize Bible verses. And, one that, uh, one, and sometimes you, the easiest way to memorize a Bible verse is to sing it. And there's a song that goes from Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not anxious, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear, for I am with you. And that's the song we used to sing in a group uh, years ago. And Jackie, when I'm driving to a scary meeting that I don't want to go to, I sing that song as I drive. So that's one way, one way to, do, uh, to memorize is to sing. Another great verse to memorize is first. Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can endure, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And if, you're, if the devil's tempting you saying you have to do this, you've got to sin, you know, you're so weak, no temptation is over. So quoting the, Jesus quoted the, the Bible at the devil in the wilderness when he got tempted. So 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a good one. Uh, the other one I like is Ephesians 6 where you put on the armor of God piece by piece. We did a whole show on that. So those are some verses I like. Okay, Pastor Brock, did Eve have sex with the serpent? There is a TV show called The Shepherd's Chapel. And the pastor there teaches that Eve had sex with the snake. Jackie, that is nowhere in the Bible. Again, you've got to be careful about TV preachers, including this one. You've got to test everything against Scripture. And if you see the pastor on the Shepherd's Chapel teach that Eve had sex with the serpent, then you've got to go back and read chapter 3 of Romans, of, of Genesis. Nowhere does Eve have sex with the serpent. And, you know, you've got to go to these websites. I mean, his theology is modalism, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit temporarily, each, each of the persons. He doesn't believe in the eternal personhood of all three persons of the Trinity. So you just got to be careful by some of the people on TV. Check out their websites against the Bible. Okay. I kind of wonder if this question didn't come from the same okay. writer. Um, what does it mean in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of God went into the daughters of man and had giants as offspring? Yeah. In Genesis chapter 6, it says that the sons of, the, of, of, uh, of God, which could mean angels, or it could mean just these very tall people back then, went in and they had children and those were the giants. So one interpretation is angels actually had sex with women and they turned out to be these big tall men. Another interpretation, I guess I would lean toward this, is that there were some very tall people back then. They called them the sons of God. And they had sex, and they had produced these larger children. And it's a, it's a tough text, Jackie. And does anybody exactly know what it means? I'm not sure we do. But there's a good example of why we need good Bible commentaries in our house. So that when you read that, think, what on earth does this mean? You've got two or three books that you can look at. Well, here's, here's a possibility, here's a possibility. Again, I recommend the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible. It's a great study Bible. All right, this is a good question, too. Should a person continue to share Christ with their relatives if the relatives have made it clear that they are against him? Yeah, 
I, I have relatives that I share the gospel with sometimes, and I bite my tongue a lot. I think once you've shared the gospel with your loved ones, if they reject it, you've done your thing. Jesus said, do not cast your pearls before swine. And the apostles, once they preached the gospel, if people rejected it, it says they dusted off their feet, they went to the next city. So what I do for loved ones that aren't open to the gospel, I've shared the gospel with them, Jackie, more than once, and then there's a time to be quiet and just let the Lord do his work while you pray for them. So there is a time to be quiet. I think the one thing that I've found that I can do very easily is say, okay, but I'm still going to keep praying for Amen. you. Amen. And I think it makes me feel that I haven't given up and that that's the one thing mm -hmm. I can continue it, and to And it's big. Your prayers, Jackie, do more than you think. Yeah. Okay. Is there any or are there any denominations that are pro-abortion? Well, sadly, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, I think the Episcopalians as well, pay for abortions for any reason in the health care plan for pastors and their families. That to me is tragic, Jackie, that when you put money in the plate, some of that can go, I mean, when I, when I was, years ago, when I was an ELCA Lutheran, we wrote a letter to every church in the country, 11,000 letters, telling people, do you know that the ELCA is paying for abortions with offering dollars? I got a letter back from, I think, a pastor's wife who was upset with me because I was so glad the church was there to pay for my 16-year-old daughter's abortion. And I read that and I thought, you're offering dollars at work killing babies in the Lutheran Church. So, Jackie, it's evil what has happened to the mainline liberal Protestant denominations. God bless, I mean, I'm not a Catholic, but on the moral issues, you can't beat the Catholic Church. They're very biblical on abortion, premarital sex, homosexuality, and I, I praise God for the Catholic Church on the moral issues. Tom, we've talked about pornography being an addiction for people. Is there some place where people that are addicted to pornography can get help? Yeah, I, I, you wanna, I think you can, you can Google the National Coalition for Purity, and I, th and I think they start groups for men and women maybe where you're in a group of let's say seven men and you once a week meet, you pray for each other, you have an account accountability partner, you call your partner every day and that is the way they're conquering some of these um, pornography problems. We've only got time for probably one more question and I think I really like this one is how do you know if God wants you to change your job? Mm -hmm. It can, that can be hard because it doesn't say in the Bible, move to California, you know. So what you do, you pray about it. James 1, if you lack wisdom and you ask in faith, God will show you. So you pray about it for wisdom. Uh, in an abundant, Proverbs says, in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. So you bounce it off of some other Christians. Do you think this is the Lord? Do you not? So prayer, counseling from other Christians are, are important. Well, we're just about out of time, and we've got our website up on the screen right now. If you want to see a program that's been shown in the past, you can look at anything you want on this uh, website. So check us out. And we just pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? 
you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.